Hello, and welcome to uh, the Undiscovered Decade. This is uh, a podcast where we look back on the 1990s, and we had the hope that we would find some hidden gems. And when we approached March 1992, where we're at now, we discovered that there was a film that could represent what was going on in the 1990s in, in foreign films. And we saw this film called Raise the Red Lantern, which was directed by Zheng Yimou. And uh, he was a director who later would direct a film called Hero, which starred Jet Li, which was a favorite of Corey and mine. So we thought, why not see the film that started it out? It isn't his first film, but it was the one that brought him even more international acclaim. And uh, it was nominated for Best Foreign Film, like a, a couple of his films. And so we thought, let's take a look at the cinema of China. And we could discuss foreign films in general and how it was in the 90s. The basic plot of it is that a young woman looking for a, a way to financially support herself after her father dies in the early part of the 20th century, uh, discovers that she could become the fourth wife of- oh, mistress. They call it mistress. Yeah, because I don't think that she's like an actual wife. Right. It's yeah. so like a concubine. Kind of dumb it down. Yeah. Is that be the correct term? A concubine? Yes. Yeah. All three are working. Uh, she she becomes this fourth mistress to this wealthy businessman. And then we see the interworkings of all the mistresses and how the politics of the house will work. Uh, I expected more of the world around them, but it is pretty much just set in this house. What you see behind Corey is the avenue of one of their houses. I believe that is Gong Li's, the fourth mistress. Uh, yeah. Her, her She's at the end of the corridor. I remember that. Uh, so they all have their own room, which is basically that back area. It's it's a pretty large room. And then they have this corridor that ends up lined with red lanterns whenever the master wants to come and have sex with them. And there's clearly a power dynamic where if they win the master's favor, the lanterns are set earlier in the day. He comes out, there's a messenger that says, oh, I've chosen the second mistress or whatnot. Uh, it was like a bad reality TV yeah. thing, but it happened in real life. And the only audience China. is the concubines. Well, no, the servants. The servants are the audience. Oh, why, do you, why do you think they get so invested? The servants are the most important part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the best character is the lantern lighter. Because you see how exhausted he is all the time. Because this thing is a whole theatrical mess. Uh, you see how many lanterns are there behind Corey. They have to put these up, take them down. Oh, yeah. All sorts of... Uh, yeah, and there's one guy. His job is just to put the lanterns up, light them, <coughs> blow them out, take them down. Like, he's the light switch. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just crazy. And then one person that at one point uh, takes it upon themselves to light red lanterns in their house unbeknownst to the other people can you imagine how painstaking that was yeah and it's a servant who clearly with respect would never be allowed to have a red lantern in their <clears throat> room but there was also a paradynamic there because it's hinted at that the master slept with her but not chosen to make her one of his concubines so she's bitter that there is a fourth mistress and it's not her and it's not her uh, she clearly had his favor at one point because she's young. She's probably around the same age as Gong Li, 19. No, I think she's younger. Younger, you think? Yeah. Okay. Think like, they never say. Yeah. 
I think it's uh, in- implied. Yeah. Because like a which is also a thing, yeah. Becca. Because like the fourth <laughs> mistress, like you, you just like like I, it felt like she really emphasized that she was a servant girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you've ever read any uh, novels that uh, feel like this, th- th- this felt very um, trying to think literary, I guess. In the sense, there's the rise and fall of the main character. Well, there's the it was right based on a book. Oh, it was okay. It was based on wives and concubines. I could have sworn you told me that. <laughs> I don't know. I can't recall the. Hang on, see if it shows. I don't remember where I read it, but when I was looking it up, it's not on like the official IMDb trivia or anything. But I need to find it. It was originally based. Oh no, I saw it in the opening credits. It was oh, based on a book. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna look that well, up. That's um, why it sounds literary. Right. Well, there's also, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like, I, I got really got strong, like, um, the way that the movie was presented uh, and the way that the story was uh, told. Um, it had chapters. Yeah, no, it did have chapters. Um, Based it, on the it seasons. Felt like, uh, it felt like one of the stories that I had to read in uh, um, my high school American lit uh, class. And, like, it felt like one of the stories from, like, the 19th century, the, right. the way it was told. And, like, in... Uh, how like the the, serial. Uh, how like the family uh, worked together. The dynamic. Yeah, the yeah, dynamic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. I don't know how the book is structured, and especially as like, like taking a couple that had servant girls. isolating chapters to focus on each of the mistresses, and then from their perspectives, like almost like an epistolary novel where it's like diary entries from each one of them. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. That not sure if it is, but it would lend itself to something like that. Right, and there was a way that. In a literary sense, they would introduce the characters and you think they're one thing. And maybe at first Gong Lee is set up to be a rival of the third mistress because they, they descend in age from first to fourth. So you would think that the ones that are closest in age would be the most uh, adversarial, but the second mistress is actually more of a snake. And you find that out later. And it makes sense once you realize it, because she puts on this smile and she's like, we're in this together. Yeah. We got to win the match. You know, like, and then kind of even out the nights. They, you know, the fact that they refer to themselves to each other as sister, um, you know, it's, they're trying to nail home that family dynamic, even though everybody knows that that's not, you know. That's not really how it is. Yeah, yeah. this isn't normal. And every, every time uh, the servants talk about like, the rules of the house they always say it's a family tradition like this is how it's been in this family's like home and usually like, homes like this are passed down from, uh, generation to generation so however long this home has been in their family like they looks been, old they've been dealing with uh women this way for a while and they have a dungeon so yeah clearly it's yeah. centuries old uh yeah and and like the, pe- I mean, the tradition for tradition's sake, really sake is tradition. they're like we're part of this. Yeah, the but servants probably have children that become servants as well. So yeah. well, that's that's why, like, you know, it makes sense that it they never show the outside world from the premises because this could have been, you know, the Middle Ages. It could have been 1930. Like you don't. It goes on. It's been going on the same way for ever. Yeah, the only hint that you get uh, aside from the Wait, did they mention this in the 1920s in the intro? Or... I believe so. Okay, so the only other hint that you get 
that you're in the 1920s is with uh, the uh, third wife when she plays a uh, record. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the that's only only other indication that you're in the 19th or the 20th century. Yeah. It almost feels anachronistic yeah. because of that. Uh, it's almost like they're putting is, on a show for each other to try to keep up a tradition that doesn't necessarily need to be held on to. Yeah. Because this businessman has done what his family has done this whole his whole history. Uh, this no, has been who's mainland China film or Hong Kong film? I believe mainland China. Ah. Uh, Zhang has gone back and forth. Hero is actually a Hong Kong film. Mm. Uh, and I believe his next film is Hong Kong. He go he goes back and forth, and the three he has three straight nominated films for best foreign film. And two of them are mainland China. One of them is Hong Kong, I believe. By the way, it was it was banned in China for a while in the nineties, really, because yeah. of the uh, rather controversial aspects of it, meaning like the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one thing that I did movie. enjoy, not enjoy, but like I, I appreciated, was the fact that you never see the master's face. It's not yeah. about him. It's about the dynamic between these women and the servants and he just shows up at every time he like he either is talking off screen or is hidden by by curtains or something it's for a close-up of his face because it's not about him um and like it just drives the point home that it's literally just a power dynamic between these four women and the servants that live in the house um and you know, there's the one point when she does something, when uh, fourth mistress does, you know, he lie, she lies to him, and as such, the lanterns are covered. So it's just like, okay, well, that's even worse because they're not just taking them down; they're literally just putting cloth over it. Like you are, yeah, you're dead. You're yeah. Because they're covered yeah. in black cloth, too. right? Yeah. So it is almost like a mourning period. Yeah. How did you feel about the performances? I know that the second mistress uh, has that two-faced aspect about her. I thought the third mistress uh, was exceptional with her singing ability. I don't know if that was actually her or she was dubbed or not. She is a real. Every singer. time she had, she has a um, a song that she sings out in the uh, on the on the rooftop. It it brings the whole movie to like a stand, standstill because it's like a showstopper. Yeah, and it's like a beautiful her- singing voice. <laughs> It's interesting with like her when she sings, she's all like all dudded out in these like nice dresses, very colorful. And like it contrasts against the whole like mansion, which is kind of drab and looks like a prison. Yeah. Uh he he Seife, who uh, plays the second mistress or third mistress, she is uh it was an opera singer from like 1984 ah. to, to about then, and then she moved into films. So she it probably was her. Including a recording, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. The performances uh, were definitely harrowing, to say the least, for a lot of them. Um, like they they played the tension between all of them great, um, but then like toward the end, it gets a little bit more. Like once once fourth mistress is sort of. Um, indoctrinated into the whole lifestyle and you see her progress in, in her own way but then she like goes off on her own and is just wandering the castle and finding um you know 
the old hidden room that the servants aren't supposed to find um, where you know people may have died yeah, the dungeon. way back then the dungeon on the top of the roof yeah um it's not even a big dungeon it's just a small it's just it's a supply house <laughs> it's a supply closet yeah where people have hanged but, but you de- but you definitely see like uh chains and uh cuffs uh yeah. through like a little glimpse in the uh crack in the door the slit so yeah. like you don't even get to see see much of the dungeon for very like very long. It's just like there you go. It's like uh, kind, of, kind of not pleasant. You saw yeah. enough to know what it was. <laughs> and that's why like you saw enough to know that towards the end when somebody's getting drugged there, that right. it's not good. <laughs> and that's you know, the cinematography in this <laughs> film was just beautiful because it was all natural light. It was all just like static shots. And there's one shot toward the end when after it's been established that that's what this room is on the roof and you know even though the master waves it off and it's just like oh no it was just people from the past mm-hmm. um you know you you see gong Li following the third mistress being drugged there by you know the other servants they're taking it apart and it's it's they're taking their yeah, time the servants but- took, took justice into their own, own hands on that one the shot voyeuristic point of view too right the shot is literally from her point of view and it's just a four minute static shot of them walking up to the room going into the room leaving the room (laughs) and like you know what happened and she she knows what happened and then it goes back to her and then the same shot from where she was standing when she goes up to investigate and it's just haunting it's haunting Uh, I do like the passive aggression that yeah. happens between the, the women. Uh, I think there's a subtlety that op- often happens. I, I think this yeah. is a very Chinese I th- thing. I think also, uh, it's a, I think it's a very Asian thing, to yeah. be honest. Uh, but like, sure. uh, there's only one really big confrontational like, Somebody ending up in the, uh, uh, you know, prison and dying. Like, it could have been avoided if, like, the fourth mistress didn't have, like, such a... Because um, she was going for power grabs whenever she could because like she, she was the newest wife or mistress or whatever mm-hmm. a concubine um she was a new kid on the block and like she wanted to uh get um get as much of the comfort uh goods as she could get and like she did get a little bit padlocked uh because like right before the um like right, right when the mistress is selected for the night uh right before they get to go into bed with the master they get a little foot massage and she definitely got padlocked by that. But whenever you hear somebody else uh, getting chosen and getting that little foot massage, and then I guess mediocre sex, because apparently, like, yeah, because <laughs> they don't they don't really care. They don't, like, really, they don't really but, show it. Yeah, but all, all that really matters is like, hey, get treated good, get a little foot massage, get foot massage well. surprise. Uh, and also like, what the winner of the night gets to choose the meal. Yeah, she's vegetarian, so she kind of yeah. So like, the, the so there's like the the other like little power dynamic of like, what are we gonna eat tonight? Yeah. Uh, there's uh, so, so many little needles that they can yeah. stick in each other. And if and if the fourth mistress hadn't like gone gone above and beyond to try to one up uh, the second mistress. And sometimes a little bit third mistress, 
Uh, nobody cares about the first minister. She's old. They don't she's really can we say what she can we say what she did to go above and beyond? She like, she sends withering glares to the rest of the women in the whole movie. It's really but like the thing is like like um throughout the movie like the, all the servants, even the master and the other three wives, are like it's a family tradition. It's a family tradition. You got to keep this up. This is what is expected in this house. Blah 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 blah. Um, but like one of the traditions uh, is that like servants can't have like the red lanterns in their room this is shame you, you don't deserve that but uh when it's discovered when um the fourth wife's servant has lanterns holed up in her room um you want her yeah she shows you like, yeah yeah yar she shows mercy at first but then like she yar like fucks up a couple times and pisses her off. So you're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm throwing you under the rug. So like she drags her out and like, hey guys, check this out. She's got something that she shouldn't be having. So like, what's the rules on this? And then like, everyone's like, oh no, no, just, it's just let it go. It's like, it's nothing. Blah. We don't call like, our cause, own, our own Cause apparently not all traditions are enforced, <laughs> but fourth mistress was really calling her out on it. So first mistress was like, well, we burn them. And that devastated the servant girl, and so she just kind of just laid out in the cold and died. Yeah. And I think it's a striking image. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do so have to if, say if uh the third mistress hadn't got busted for you know having an affair, maybe the servants wouldn't have like enforced the death penalty on their own whim. If it hadn't been for the fourth mistress like egging them on, especially oh, especially yeah. since it was her fault that like um one of the servants had died, and maybe just this, maybe this is one of their jabs at her because maybe they noticed that she was getting buddy buddies with third mistress. Maybe too. they maybe they were and, sick of that. Yeah, so they were yeah. like, you know what? Huh. Extreme justice. I thought they were yeah, just well, the, following the rules. Whole thing was I mean, like they court, been. court they mistress. Been. Like, that's one way of seeing it, but like me personally, after thinking about it for a while, like these people are psychotic. They've got to be because mm -hmm. they're mistress. invested in it. <laughs> Fourth mistress's whole thing was like, you know, in in her attempt to one up everyone, she lied about being pregnant to gain his favor, and you know would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for her meddling maid. <laughs> Um, yeah. was just jealous of her and you know reported that she had found blood on the sheets and stuff um, and so like that was what kicked off everything because that was like the biggest disrespect in the house like she was banished and from the rest of the movie she just like descends into madness according to everyone else um, but <clears throat> quick side note i do have to say something about the fact that i watched this with ads oh my yeah, god um it must have been fun we which there's access to it from imdp tv there's so there's absolutely oh, wait, no wait, way wait, it's like a 9 11 documentary there's no way to actually to you know succinctly cut to commercial during this movie yeah, like right after that servant dies, they're like, and here's an ad for earbuds. I think I think we like, got one ad timed perfectly with the uh, uh, the, ch the, ch the cut to the next chapter. Yeah, it was only one, just once. Yeah, it would have been perfect if it was every chapter. There, there was a scene where 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 Gong Li's character finds uh, a voodoo doll that um, Yar had had made of her 
and was just like trying to put a curse on her. There's a very intense emotional scene. She throws her against the wall and everything. And then it cuts to that that mixed nuts commercial with Joel McHale and oh, <laughs> Ken Jong. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Wow, you got, I, I didn't see the connection between those two. Because we, we didn't get a commercial. It wasn't out there. Yeah. It was a new commercial. Yeah, I was like, but but still, I'm like, that sounds seamless to me. There's no, <laughs> wrong, the there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's, but there is there are several wrong ways to cut to commercial during is the emotional you know, climax. Of the anaphylactic shock. Don't you understand? Yeah. They're all watching my girl. But then that again goes back to like how powerful the performances were because like I was invested the entire film and then you know my choice to watch it for free you got <laughs> that out of it but um yeah what did you think Corey? you haven't spoken to you overall too much yeah um i thought i like the second half way more than i like the first half there's a way to present um a routine and patterns within the day repetitions without making it seem tedious. And I think the movie made it a little listless at first. Made the first half. I understand it has to be kind of a slow burn in the first half, but they could have oh, that was the point. tightened it up a bit. In the first half, I was thinking I, I admired the movie more than I'm actually liking it. So, but once we started to get some momentum towards the second half, when she started to become more manipulative, I started to see the the motifs come to the forefront. I liked it a lot more. And I mean, Gong Lee gives like a career best performance in this. So, sure. Um, I mean, overall, I I I don't want to say again, it's a hard movie to enjoy, but I was it was more rapturous in the second half, I think, than the first half. Yeah, I agree with your assessment of Gong Lee. She. She does six films with uh, uh, Zhang, but uh, this might be their best one. Obviously, this is the only one I've seen, so I can't say for my own opinion, but this is the most famous one. And then I've, I've loved her and everything she's done in international films like uh, 2046 and, and Miami uh, Vice. Miami Vice, Memoirs of a Geisha, um, you know. Yeah. Could be one. Of, I, I think this might be your best that that I've seen. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment that it was admirable, but a tough watch. Um, yeah, but it was it was very well. It was very well done. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, sorry. Back to that. No, it's fine. I, knew, I knew this was going to be a little rough, so I was yeah. prepared for it to be a little distressing. I, I can admire yeah, it I, and like you it. know. What's oh, funny? oh, I was. Um, hang on. I was yeah. going to say, yes, it was a slow burn in the beginning, but it was sort of that way to to kind of acclimate the audience to what the rest of the wives were going through. Because by the second season, because they do it like it's winter, spring, so. Um, you know, by that point, we're up to speed with how the wives are living. And, you know, that's where the the, the whole meat of the film is. And then toward the end, after 
third mistress goes insane you the film closes with a fifth mistress showing up and you're like oh well she's in for a ride yeah i do oh I yeah do and like, like what? at that point like fourth mistress isn't fourth mistress yeah, anymore. she's I a do, servant now i yeah. do ultimately yeah, a nice like happens to Donnelly. she's yeah. basically a ghost that wanders the grounds because yeah. like she's responsible for like she's essentially like even though like at the end she calls out the servants for being murderers and then like eventually the the uh master is like he's like what are you talking about you're insane you're crazy like it seems like he doesn't care and like he's like yeah no they did the right thing gaslighting her but but uh she is gaslighting her like despite the fact that she's calling them out as murderers like i feel like in the back of her head she knows she's responsible for two deaths yeah because she was being an idiot yeah and like power hungry essentially yeah and uh didn't play your cards quite well and like basically caused two deaths yeah yeah what a risk yeah high risk low reward right just just one or four women in a bad situation yeah four women in a bad well five if we include uh the servant girl sure want to give grades on this sure um I, like you, admired it, uh, especially for the cinematography and Gong Li's performance. So getting to finally see something that Zhang had done was was good as well. So I feel like my grading is a little low, but I'll probably do like a C plus. Because I don't know that I'd actually watch this again. I often, I often think of these films as like rewatchability, like Toy Soldiers, getting to see it again. Now yeah. I, I own it because I had to for this and I will watch it again. Sure. Um, this I can admire and remember in the future as a well done film. Oh yeah. No, uh, but not have to watch it again. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go a different route and I'm gonna go more of an emotional route mm -hmm. and I'm gonna grade it based on that and give it an A plus. Okay. Yeah, cause like it's, uh, you kind of, despite the women like at each other's throats, you kind of get a little sympathetic at where they're coming from considering they don't really have power so like they kind of have to buy for whatever they can get at any time and um yeah no i think this movie's gonna just like stick in my mind with how like the ending happened and how like just unnerving that was and i'm just like yeah that's a film trauma yeah see i don't want to say that my grade is uh completely dismissing the film oh this yeah is, no, this no. is technically you, the you, lowest i've ever given no, a you, did, you did establish what you're <laughs> no, I, on and then I, so uh, i was like that's why i'm going the emotional but way. i feel like if i give everything a b it's not really a, <clears throat> establishing a, a grade so i don't think you and i are far apart on this one because i'd probably give this a b minus i was bordering on a c plus at the second half and it picked up a little bit more but again the first half is very lackadaisical, which is fine. I've I've seen other movies where they've had this kind of slower pace, but I was more invested in what was going on. I didn't feel as invested in the first half of this as I was in the second half. Mm -hmm. You know what I could relate this to for what I'm considering it? Uh, I've seen the film following that was Christopher Nolan's first film. Right. And everything in that is almost like it's shot from a security camera. And so it is almost like an experiment by an early in-school director. Uh, this, this is still his early 
goings. And so by the time he gets to Hero, which is one of my favorite foreign films, right. uh, it his camera work is pristine. And it's sweeping too. I think his point here is to have the static shots so that you get the sense of stillness. So I understand that as well. But I think I liked the more dynamic cinematography he has later in his career. Can I so throw I, in? I think I'll appreciate this later, but C plus yeah. isn't bad. So. No. I'm going to give it four out of five lanterns. <laughs> you. I'm sick of doing the letters. The Scott it was it was an a uh you know for all of the things mixed in the cinematography was beautiful and i will i would like to add one other theory on that um that the audience is supposed to be taking the perspective of the ghosts that haunt the grounds Ooh. that's why you see a lot of stuff from the roof you see a lot Ooh. of things from ah. oh you might ah. raise to a b minus from <laughs> You know, this, this movie probably has this a high range of grades that we've had. Uh huh. Because, like, I said A, plus, Jeff said A, you said C, plus, Corey, you said B, B minus. I mean, yeah. I'm very generous with a lot of these things, but this was one of those, it, it feels like one of those cinematic classics. Like, yeah. you wouldn't, you wouldn't w pick this for movie night with your friends, but. You know, it's definitely a film that left an emotional scar on all of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's probably great on the big uh, screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. It's going to stick with me for a while. It's still though. resonate with me. Yeah. Well done. Oh, by the way, uh, the author of the original book, novel, ah. Su Tong. Oh, yes. That's what oh. it was. I did read this. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. You read the book? No, I didn't That's, read the book. I read that there was Right. I just wanted to get that in there. Because uh, it was based on. There, there was a, uh, the generation that's around the, this time, the fifth generation of Chinese cinema, uh, a couple of the directors directed films of his novels. But yeah, I, I looked into a, a bit of the history of Chinese cinema last night just to familiarize myself with what was going on. Because I read that this was the fifth generation and I was curious what that meant. It made sense that there had maybe been five generations since the beginning of cinema. The first film in China was from 1905. Uh, so it is basically that, it's just the next wave of directors. So in, in a way you would consider this like your Coppola, Lucas, Scorsese wave at right. the same time. Um, and then the cultural revolution that had happened in the late seventies uh it, it was in response to the censorship that had been going on there mm -hmm. uh so there were a lot of these scar cinema films that were going on which were supposed to represent what had happened during that censorship period and the trauma that had been lent to that but that was the fourth generation so by the time we had gotten even past that the children of those people were making films such as this so they could go more broadly into the minutiae of what had happened in the history of China into the sentiments of how certain doctrine were presented to their citizens. So this is why Raise the Red Lantern gets on some uh, banned lists for a while, uh, because Zhang took some risks, uh, according to Chinese censorship. But um, other directors of this period were doing films similar to this. So it was a, a freer period tur turning from the 80s into the 90s.
So that that would go on and then what would become popular were a lot of the martial arts films, particularly stuff that would gain more international acclaim like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And so then you get Zhang's own House of Flying Daggers hero. So that's what we know a lot of Chinese film to be. And even just last year, they had two films, The Battle of Lake Chang'in and Hai Mom, which are two of the top 10 films in the box office internationally. They haven't even, well, Hi Mom hasn't come out here yet, but it's it's a comedy about a woman grieving over her dead mother. Yeah, it's the highest grossing film in the, in the world. <laughs> um, but it hasn't even come out in America because it <clears throat> is almost entirely uh, predicated on the Chinese box office. So they've just last year realized that they can almost supplement their own box office and not need American films, not need European films. So it's becoming its own behemoth. Well, nowadays, if if you watch any of these American blockbusters, they almost cater to the Chinese market. Like there'll be plot points where the characters have to go to China or mm-hmm. that they'll re-edit things in China that plot points that don't really resonate over there right or there'll be a chinese actress that's just kind of thrown into the film or or like <laughs> if the iron man movies they inserted a chinese businessman that was as smart or smarter than tony helping right. him out every now and then giving him some pointers right uh yeah they kind of edited him in the same way that they edited in the uh, uh crap i forgot the uh the actor that played in uh godzilla the original oh right the white guy ray, ray raymond Burr. yeah yeah, like there's Gojira, the Japanese version, but then Godzilla, the American version. Yeah, like inserted a like a American, American reporter. So we like it. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. they edited him, played edited Steve Martin in, and then boom. Yeah, and so the now Chinese do now that with our films. Now it's happening to us. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it wouldn't have happened with things like Raise the without things like Raise the Red Lantern. So That's this is a very important period of Chinese cinema. So what you're saying is they're gonna come out with a re-edit with a white guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wandering around like hey what's going on you shouldn't treat your wedding you like doing? this <laughs> yeah it's just gonna be, Owen, be Will- Owen- it's gonna be Owen Wilson wandering through the halls of the castle oh, wow. <laughs> let's raise the red lantern on some other releases this month <laughs> sure yeah um, what else came out this month Court? uh there's a movie called gladiator which is a boxing movie has nothing to do with the Ridley Scott film um it's a uh, it's a boxing movie with Cuba Gooding Jr. and some anonymous, nondescript white man. Wow! His name. You never saw Twin Peaks? Oh, was he in that? It's James, oh. the guy that goes off for the whole second season. All I know is this guy. The guy in the movie is very wooden because I yeah he's, watched this pretty recently. He's the worst part of Twin Peaks. So. Yeah, he's the worst part of this movie. So yeah, but he's easily overshadowed by everybody else in the cast. Because Brian Dennehy's in this, and so is uh, Robert Loja. Hmm. And John Hurt, actually. Plays cool, John Hurt. Yeah. But um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty run-of-the-mill boxing movie for the most part. Um, the Lawnmower Man. Oh! It's a movie that Stephen King uh, owned yeah. upon release. Because it's so far removed from his actual story. This is yeah. one of the only other ones we considered for this month. Yeah, I've never seen one more. <laughs> That's why we didn't do it. Because Both cuts bad. are bad. I've seen both cuts at this point. They're both bad. Do you know there were two? Oh, Maybe. there's two. 
Yeah. Isn't it a cult I, classic though? Yeah, I thought people. I guess that. people like making fun of the Jeff Fahey fatuous um, mental challenge performance. I don't know. Like my, co- my kind cousin, of like my cousin and a few of his buddies and some of my buddies like that movie. I don't know. I feel like you there's. See, a, um, you guys are read Flowers for Algernon. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the same thing. Really? Yeah. He's playing Charlie. It, the, the experiments make him smarter. Okay. Yeah, but I thought didn't they have more of like a, a Hellraiser factor to them? Like, oh yeah, a lot more. The end, he starts. There's a lot more body movie. horror involved, from what I remember. Not really, actually. It becomes more like he becomes the master of virtual reality. So you yeah, like, he plays a lot. Like I was about to say, isn't it like a cyber thriller? It's a cyber. Yeah, thriller. yeah. Like a sci-fi cyber thriller. <clears throat> so it's like if Flourish from Algernon fell into virtuosity. Because like it's his access to virtual reality starts to give him this input in the knowledge beyond our realm. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's too early, I think. If this had come out like six years later, maybe they would have done more research. Or, the internet would have been more advanced. Or if it came out now, it would make a lot that would be just rife with allegories ready to be also this is on the, the cusp of like special effects. Do a reboot, weren't they? Yeah. This is on the cusp of like taking like previs visual effects and trying to make like sequences out of it, and it looks very geometric as you can. Imagine. Oh yeah, it's like a disclosure. I do remember seeing clips of that. You ever yeah. seen disclosure with the uh, virtual reality scene with Michael Douglas? Right. Yes. Oh, Stuff yeah. like that. This this director's special. Better or worse than Hackers? Oh, special wow. effects wise, oh, it's worse. <laughs> You know the abyss where the monster comes through and like looks in people's faces. That looks good though. Yes. Imagine if that hadn't been. It was the first draft of that. Right. It's it's like Spawn. We'll get the Spawn. Oh yeah, Spawn is the best special effects. I mean, it's pretty bad. It's all right for the time. It was okay. No, it wasn't even good for the time. I liked it. Anyway, um, Meatballs Four came out. <laughs> I missed two. I bet you didn't even know that there was four of them. But this is uh, Ivan Reitman's rolling in his grave right now, just even thinking about the 30th anniversary of Meatballs Four. Yeah, you know who is the Bill Murray of this movie? Corey Feldman. As if you could replace Bill Murray with Corey. That's where we fell. Who were the ones in between? Um, the second one has an alien in it. I remember that. I never saw the. Third one. I know the second one, technically. Well, I've never. I never even heard. There's of an meatballs. ET type extraterrestrial in the second one. Meatballs was this uh, camp comedy with Bill Murray where he's a counselor and it's he gets in it, the show. It was his big break into the movies. Yeah, it's basically Wet Hot American Summer was making fun of this kind of thing or like an update of that sort of joke. Huh. Um, but it's mostly just following him around, not a bunch of counselors. No, yeah. It's like Caddyshack for summer camp. Escapades. Yeah. I don't remember this movie. Oh, I've never seen this movie. I never heard of it. It's funny. Like- not like it's pretty good. It's pretty good if you're for Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, yeah. if Bill Murray was in it, it would like I like the footnote. You'd like I'm, surprised. It. I'm surprised I never heard of it. Yeah. I didn't love it. That's why I've never shown it again. I think it was Ivan Raymond's first big directorial movie. So. Oh, he directed it, yeah? Yeah. That makes um, sense. But this is nowhere in the same league. And that's not even a classic movie. 
So yeah, um, Once Upon a Crime, which uh, is a uh, it's a caper movie with Richard Lewis, John Candy, and it's directed by directed <laughs> Eugene Levy. Interesting. I used to watch this a lot as a kid. It doesn't hold up as well, but the, I mean, with that kind of cast, how could you not get a few laughs? Yeah. Did you watch it again? It hold up. I didn't rewatch it, so I don't know if it holds up. I kn- I wanted to rewatch it because, like, a couple months ago, we were going to talk talk about Delirious, so I've been wanting to rewatch a lot of John Candy movies. But right. um, Article Ninety Nine came out, which is like it's a it's a medical drama that also becomes a romantic comedy that then becomes a thriller and then becomes a satire. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got Ray Liotta <clears throat> as uh, this chief of surgery at this hospital for uh, veterans. Oh. The young hotshot at the hospital is Kiefer Sutherland. That makes sense. The, the tone is just inconsistent. It's all over the place. <clears throat> My cousin Vinny came out this month. Hey, that's weird. I was thinking. Where's the Tomei Warner Oscar for this film? One of the best uh, films of the year, I'd say. This probably will end up in my top five. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. Um, Um, Tomei gives an all-time performance that was written off almost immediately. Like she's not that good, and then she goes on to have a career that holds up the standard that she set with this film. Well, not only that, the Oscars never give awards for comedy. Her and Pippin Klein are the big ones. Yeah. I can't think of anybody else winning for comedy for the most part in the last couple of decades. Not since her, really. Hmm. No. Not off the top of my head. And honestly, it's hard because she's in scenes with Joe Pesci and she's stealing those scenes from right everything. Yeah. Yeah. She finally takes the stand at the end. My dad and I quote that all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's, fun, it's funny that the two performers that you wouldn't think would steal scenes, her and Fred Gwynn are the best parts of the movie. Fred Gwynn's so good, too. Yeah. yeah have, it's, have, you, have you seen this, Jeff? You've seen, we got to show Jeff. Oh, well, it's, it's, not only is it a, a classic not. courtroom, it's, it's a clever uh, courtroom comedy on top of that. Like, you're actually invested in the yeah. case. Yeah. And, uh, it's endlessly quotable. I can't uh, wait. Later in life, it's been 30 years coming. All right. Later in life, my grandfather's favorite film. Okay. Honestly, this director, Jonathan Lynn, has directed a lot of underrated comedies. He did Clue. Oh, Clue's a good movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. He did um, Sergeant Bilko. I have a soft spot for that. It's not bad. I remember liking it. He did a whole nine yards. That was okay. One of the last few good. Bruce Willis movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Shakes the Clown came out this month. Oh boy. The directorial debut of Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny part is he's be, he's become a really good filmmaker. He really yeah. this movie's a one joke premise that gets stretched in the taffy though. Yeah. He's an alcoholic clown. Isn't uh are all of them though? Adam Sandler is in the film. Someone else, Sam Rockwell started in this, didn't he? Um, I don't know, but Tom Kenny's in it. He plays his arch nemesis, SpongeBob. Mm. Basic Instinct came out. Never seen this. Ah, it's uh, it's glossy, it's burnished, <clears throat> it's, it's fun. 
Um, the, the murder mystery at the center is completely ludicrous, but it's done with such high style by uh, Paul Verhoeven. I feel like he's almost lampooning the genre as much as he's honoring it. But it is very uh, sexually charged, that movie. A lot of people remember that that scene in the uh, the interrogation scene with Sharon Stone. Yeah, the legs crossing. Wait, who, oh, 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 who's who's the person sitting in the room, Jimmy? Oh, who's right. Yeah, who's asking her the questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah Michael Douglas. Yeah, Miss Nedry. Yeah, okay, good enough. Nedry, okay, yeah. Newman. Wayne Knight. Yeah, Wayne Knight. Newman. Like, he's always, he's always going to be De- Dennis Nedry to me. Yeah, these are the three things he's most famous for. Uh, Newman, Nedry, and the legs. And, 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 and Warzone. Actually, here's something that Jeff might know something about because maybe he knows the stage play. Noise is off. Yes. What about it? Came out. The, the film. Oh version. yeah, they came out. Yeah. The film. The film version came out. Um, by Peter Bogdanovich. It's got all star cast. Got a um, R.I.P. Carol Burnett, uh, Christopher Reeves, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I parked the car in the car park. Um, I kind of thought that that. I don't know how the stage play goes, but I, th- I feel like the joke kind of exhausts itself before we get to the end. I mean, it, it definitely lends itself better to being a stage play because it takes place at a stage play. Um, the production yeah, they cheated line. a little bit because they go, they show you the rehearsal, but then they cut to a couple months later and then you see the behind. That's exactly, yeah, the timeline matches up because it's like okay. they're in rehearsals and then they're like, halfway through their tour and is a backstage thing in act two. And then act three is they've been doing this for so long that nobody gives a shit anymore and everything's just going wrong. Right. And there's like all this conflict going on. I remember my parents going to see it and they always told me that this was one of the funniest things they had ever seen on stage. If it's done right. Yes. They were in the heart of their theater time. If I've mentioned it before, they met in a community theater and so they were like right in the thick of these kinds of rehearsals and performances. So they got all the in jokes, the little nuances and stuff. So when I thought it's something you'd have to see live to just feed off the energy of the actors because watching it yeah. filmed feels kind of stayed. Yeah, I mean, I guess it lends itself to that. <laughs> Plus, I think that the comedy is of a time. It's very nineties. I think that also helps that you had the showcase like carol burnett and company doing it because if it were lesser known actors it wouldn't probably wouldn't have come off as well right but stage play is like it's it's tough to do like because we want the script is like a phone book and there's two simultaneous columns going that there's what's happening in the dialogue and what's happening on stage like the stage overlapping dialogue along with antics going on at the same time so the stage directions aren't like, you know, separated by line by line. It's like alongside of it because exactly what needs to be done at the same time. Um, so, but I, I remember the, fir- the first I time I saw it, the first time I saw it, it was like in rehearsals, like the, the production was in rehearsals and they got to act three where everything's supposed to go off the rails. And I'm like, I thought that it was hilarious. And then I find out that like none of the stuff that was, that I saw that night was actually supposed to happen fictionally, oh. like in the show. And I was like, oh, art, like all right. Art. Right, exactly. That's, that's you know, 
that that show tends yeah, to have it's... that um vibe around it i think it could use an update maybe but yeah I hmm. see i want to see it done with like a fancy musical or like something you know well, the, the backstage the backstage drama behind uh like spider-man hey they did with birdman kiss me kate yeah kiss me kate is like uh noises off in that sense they're they're trying to put on a show and then they're singing about it backstage Mm. It's not as much a disaster, but yeah. But maybe if you combine the two, you could get something, especially about that Spider-Man musical. No. Um, <laughs> the best ice skating movie of all time came out this month. The Cutting Edge. With D.B. Sweeney. Nope. you never seen The Cutting Edge? Nope. It's one of the best films ever made. Never it's, even heard it. it's a nostalgic mainstay. That was a, that was, that was a disingenuous what? Uh, D.B. Sweeney and Moira Kelly, who we saw in uh, Billy Bathgate. Right. She gets her baby lead role here, and she is perfectly cast. She's right. adorable. Best thing D.B. Sweeney's ever done. Easily, yeah. yeah. The only other thing he's done is that fire movie. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Yeah, jumping. Fire in the sky. Fire in the sky, yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorite movies is The Cutting Edge. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> It has some of the best supporting performances that you, you wouldn't expect in a romantic comedy like this. Uh, Terry O'Quinn plays um, Moira Kelly's father. Yeah. And he's tough on her, but he learns <clears throat> from this, this kid who uh, he gets kicked off the hockey team and because he has an injury that won't let him play hockey anymore. I, I don't, they don't really get into what it is. He should but, just play golf like Happy Gilmore. Right, yeah. The, the, the two films go in the different directions. The wildly different takes on hockey injuries um but this this becomes you can still ice skate so why not become an olympic ice skater because his whole thing was he wanted to play for olympic gold the good this, thing is the movie doesn't really go into gay panic but you could right. they very easily could have at this time uh their chemistry is incredible i don't know that i've ever seen a better romantic parent um wow this, yeah this is uh it's easily one of my favorite romantic comedies uh i think Would we're talking really about considered a comedy though it's a little more of a drama i was gonna say it's more of a dramedy to me there's there's goofy parts uh and there's sentimental parts which would lend itself to okay. comedy i don't know it's it's something that's probably steeped in nostalgia for me too because i saw it around the time i used to watch but it a lot when i was a kid probably my introduction to romance i saw it before when harry met sally and other ones that I like as much or more. So, wow. Yeah. Um, Merchant Ivory movie came out this month, Howard's End, which uh, it's a sumptuous, uh, sweeping epic. Which one is this again? Oh, Howard's End. So, I, the joke is I get this confused, and I'm sure a lot of people do with two other movies. Um, there's Remains of the Day. And also Shadowlands. Um, Shadowlands, I believe, is a reunion of the same two actors. So it's Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins. And it's uh, that one's directed by Richard Attenborough. This is a Merchant Ivory movie. Um, Remains of the Day is, again, Anthony Hopkins. So that's the through lines for all three. Um but they're all costume dramas that came out roughly around the same time. Isn't he a butler in all three, too? 
No, no, in this one, he's actually the proprietor of Howard's End, the state. Oh, okay. Emma Thompson is about to inherit, but he, it, he, they're giving it. He's given a really juicy, complex role because you're not sure whether his intentions are honorable or not. Okay. But uh, it's it's really multi-layered. It's really intelligent. Um, it's it's worth seeking out. It's on Netflix right now. It's the first time I saw it. <clears throat> Which uh, one has Helena Bonham Carter? She plays Emma Thompson's sister. Who, uh, she's actually the impetus for the story because she's having a, a short-lived affair with um, somebody associated with Anthony Hopkins' family. So that's, what's, that's what brings the two families together. And okay. then, um, Lady Bugs came out this month. It's a Rodney Dangerfield soccer film. Nobody remember this? No, it's not good. It doesn't hold up. Although some of the... Uh, some of the quasi-pedophilia misunderstanding jokes are kind of funny. Oh? There's a part where he goes to a bar and he, he's like, you seem pretty depressed, bud. What's going on? Well, I got this woman and <clears throat> son. I had him dress up as a girl and I had him play with me. You get the hell out of here, pal. I don't know. Some, some of it's... Oh, my God. Rodney. This is why you never got any respect. Hey, you. yeah, yeah. Actually, they play that song at the end. He does like a rap version of a respect song at the end. Really? Yeah, it's odd. Because <laughs> that's his whole shtick. What yeah. a film. And then another sports comedy, probably the the most famous one outside of the cutting edge is uh, White Men Can't Jump. Oh, yeah. Which just yesterday got announced there's going to be a remake. Why? Yeah. It's the chemistry between those two guys, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Yeah, it'd probably come off as cheesy if they make a remake. Ron Shelton's always good at doing these sports comedies because he did Bull Durham and Tin Cup and stuff like this. So this is more like a street-level hustler kind of comedy. Yeah. But they're not professionals. But uh, has, has anybody else seen it? No. Remember? Um, it's I really, liked it a lot back in the day. Yeah, it's really good. Um. So we're checking out. It actually has kind of a bittersweet ending because you think it's going to end in like there's a, a big game. There's a Jeopardy subplot, right? Yeah. Um, Woody Harrelson's girlfriend, Rosie Perez, dreams of being on Jeopardy. So you get to see some Alex Trebek in this because she actually that's, gets one. That's really all I know about the film. Oh, okay. Of course I do. Sure. But now we get to uh, Jeff's time. Get ready for this, Jeff. <laughs> and remember, I could steal points. Since when? When did this become a thing? Yeah, why is he competing with Jimmy now? When did it's this become part of the rule? It's been this way since the Christmas, the New Year. The How fair you live year. with the guy that's making it. I mean, I forgot the last three or four episodes, and then like I would chime in and Tristan yeah, would be like points. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I don't tell him anything. Because like the whole thing is like, I'm not supposed to try. I'm just supposed to go ADD and then I get it's like whose line is it anyways? My points mean nothing. Your points mean everything. This was my moment to shine. Mm-hmm. All right, sorry. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. So All right. Jeff, what did you do with home? He describes the poster and then tries to guess the plot or maybe a title. Uh, this one. 
you might not necessarily have any actors, but I will ask you later about them. Uh, so why don't you describe the poster for us? Okay. So we've got, it's a white background with a door, possibly from an apartment building or hotel. Uh, number on it is 103. It's got a do not disturb tag on it. No, There's a bunch of luggage definitely. haphazardly piled up in front of it. Um, there are eight other doors surrounding it smaller i don't think they're smaller people i think they're just like other characters that happen throughout the movie they all happen it looks like they might all be coming out of the same door um so there, i feel like there's a lot of activity happening in this one room um you know possibly murder and guns there's a little there's a couple mobsters Maybe maybe a there. little sex because I see a lady with a short skirt. Yeah, I think is that is that John Larroquette up in the up in the wee t- wee corner? Possibly not. No, it's tough to make out their faces, but yeah, that was one of the questions I was going to have. Do you recognize any of them? I mean, so just small. to give you a the fuzziness, like- looks like John Larroquette. Um. I can't recognize anyone else. The faces are just well. One of them looks like looks like uh, Vernon Dursley. From hey, the, uh, hey, he got. Yeah, okay. that was the one I thought you'd most recognize. So I'm going to give you a, a couple points for that. Okay, just because you might that. Not else. the one directly above Mr. Dursley uh, looks like Matthew McConaughey with a with a guitar case, but he kind of it, it is not. It is too early in time for it to be Matthew McConaughey. Not gonna lie, but the, the way the gu- uh, guitar case is like Richard silhouetted Gere. with uh, the uh, body looks a little phallic. Like it's probably walking the out of the room with the heart on. Probably looks the point. Richard Gear like diagonal to the sexy lady. So, so I'm gonna give you one other thing, and then you can name this. Well, wait, wait. Do I do I have to guess the plot or? To... Yeah. Why don't you guess the plot now? Because I took. Yeah, go ahead. It's the uh, observations of this one room of all of the the occupants throughout the course of a week. Like it takes place in some random ass motel and all of these strange characters keep showing up to room 103. The joke is there's no other rooms in the hotel. So that's it's just a one room, <laughs> a one room hotel. Um, is that close or it is it is a combination of mixed that mixed uh what am i what am i going for here mistaken identity where everybody keeps trying to visit the same guy in room 103 like it's some john smith type character who everyone keeps mistaking for their john smith type character who's in room 103 um and then hilarity ensues That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. He's not, It's got something to do with Room 103. The mistaken identity and the misunderstandings and everything around that is close. Well, the okay. next thing I'll give him, this might help you, because I don't think you'd be able to name anything from this. You'd probably just call it, like, Room 103. So 1408. Here's, here's the next this was situation. All right. So there's a wacky doorman. <laughs> Oh, with a bellhop with the with the hat. Oh, oh, oh it's Tim Ross from four rooms. He's trying. He's gonna open the do not disturb door. Oh, 
hijinks. You know, um, but it's I all feel from... like this might be like a very specific kind of comedy, considering that like it looks like everybody's in the 1940s to early the... 60s kind of get up. And but you know, yeah, no. The bellhop. Like the... Look at the dresses. The bellhop is an FBI informant like who's crazy. trying to capture. I don't know. Uh, who's who's trying to trap people for the CIA. And for some reason it's a comedy. I think no. you've done enough uh storyizing. <laughs> I think you've done enough. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call this? Um other than other than room 103, I'd call it like bellhop or room service or some such like hotel themed. Like continental breakfast. Yeah, heavy baggage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Traveling light. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the cases. Cases. I think is his face. I don't know that you'd recognize him, but cold cases. I do not recognize that person. Look how in Wait. Yeah, I have no idea. The Big smile is giving something away. I can't. I Look can't how much of a little stinker he is. I don't. I can't place the name. I'm. I'm being Jimmy. Jimmy, I'm giving Are this you one to you. A formal, former little rascal or something? No. No. He's a little too young for that. I'm trying to get you to get the title. Oh. Is it a little stinker? Is it? Is it no. stinking up? No. Dirty rooms. <laughs> Dirty laundry. I think they're floundering. No. I don't know, man. Floundering. The uh, the next thing I believe is the actors, which is oh here you go. This might help you. Mix up mishaps, madness, and mayhem. It's all part of the service. Is this an escape room movie? <laughs> yeah, early. Yeah. Is this like Hogwarts Hotel? It's just things. Don't latch on to Richard Griffiths. I'm not. Just this guy looks very mischievous. Mischief- mischievous. Mix up is that what, um is it like problem wait. child but problem hotel? Wait, 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 no. I I don't know. Check baggage. Uh service? I gotta I gotta put room, yeah. room service. How bellboy the endings? Here's some of the actors. Dudley Moore, Brian uh, Brown. Moore I believe he's the one in the upper left corner. <clears throat> Cassie Kensett, Richard Dudley Griffiths. Moore. Yeah, where's Dudley Moore's yeah, top left? Andreas Katsoulis, Allison Stedman, Penelope Wilton, and Bronson Pinchot. I don't know oh, any of these people. Bronson you don't know who Dudley Moore is? Yeah, come on, man. Look, huh. there's, a reason, there's a reason we decided to do this. I don't know any of this. Um, Dudley Moore, you don't know? Dudley Moore, well, I'm sure if I saw like an actual Penny? picture of him that wasn't tiny, I might recognize Anyway, Bronson Pinshot, I think, is the guy with the guitar. He no, he's the no. bellboy. Oh, he's the bellboy. Duh. Okay. Gotcha. He's from Perfect Strangers. You're saying that oh. like I would know. Yeah, come on, Jeff. It's me. <sighs> All right, one last chance to the title, and then I'll put you out of your misery. Patsy Kenza, you might know from uh, Lethal Weapon Two. Hotel California. Well, Tristan, you know her. I don't know who she is. She's in Lethal Weapon Two. She's wait, 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 wait! Turn down. No. No, all right. Damn it. Blame it on on a bellboy. I love how it's in quotes, like an old timey picture. Uh, This was a rough one. Yeah. 
You think that's rough tracing through the movie? <laughs> so what was it about? Is it a porno? Right, so he does look like he's... all these people go to the same hotel, and he mixes he mixes up their bags, and also they also have very similar sounding last names, so it becomes a mistaken identity. Bar. Jeff was close. Yeah, he's not. He wasn't. He wasn't I'll give him half a point for the plot because it looks like you're along the line. But the fact that he doesn't know Dudley Moore. Yeah, minus three points. Shame I mean, on I don't know Dudley Moore. <laughs> I don't know, Dudley Moore canceled from the show. Um, yeah, it looks like I got to go edumacate myself. Yes. Arthur, check out Arthur. Arthur's great. Yeah. Oh, so was that eight on the pot of blame it on the double? I, it's so convoluted. I don't remember exactly how everybody, for some reason, the most disturbing thing is that um, Richard Griffiths thinks that Patsy Kensett's a prostitute. And she's trying to sell him a place. So they get their wires crossed somehow, and she ends up having sex with him, which is the most disturbing thing you could imagine. Oh, boy. Well. Well, uh, <laughs> that's something. Yeah. So in lieu of the fact that we uh, watched a foreign film to try and uh, expand our horizons on international films and everything, uh, I thought it would be appropriate to say what our best, our favorite foreign film is. I know that's a broad topic, obviously. Yeah. So if it takes a second, it's very wide range. Yeah, there's a lot in that. But I mean, it doesn't have to specifically be Chinese or Asian or. Anything. See, I was about to go with an Asian movie, but now that I, mean, I don't have to. Beforehand, Jimmy and I were like, I asked him. Do British films count? Do Australian films count? Yeah, do those count? In the English language? <laughs> yeah. There's so many British films, though, that are commonplace in our history. That, like, technically, Star Wars is a foreign film in a way. If you consider yeah. it that way. Really? Technically. I mean, it's an American director in a British studio, you know? I mean, you could say the same with uh, Aliens. Yeah, you could say the and same Star with a lot Wars. of things. Yeah. How about... Uh... So I, I guess I would consider favorite foreign language film. Foreign my go-to okay, go is always Amelie. Amelie's a good choice. Oh. Um, the Hidden Fortress. That makes sense for you, uh, yeah. What were you going to guess? Because you said at the beginning of this, you knew what I would say. Oh, uh, Parasite. Nope. Parasite's good, but it's so new. It's, you know, it's good. Okay. It's the it's the cool one to say these days. I mean, I also, like it. it. It was my favorite movie of the year, and that was before it started getting all that's the. That's what I thought. Movies. That's why I thought. I, I caught the train at the beginning, so I don't feel as like I'm I'm jumping on the same boat. Right. You you and I saw it right as it came out. We saw it before it was getting all that buzz. Actually. Right. We saw an early screener copy of it. We we saw it the <laughs> week it came out in America. Right. So. Um, also, like campaign consideration. Yeah, I feel better about liking it as much as I do because it's it's the neat thing to do to okay, well, we like foreign films now. Like Drive My Car came out. Uh, Why yeah. specifically Drive My Car is this big thing? There were other foreign films that were just as good, you know. But uh my favorite is actually City of God, the, the Brazilian film oh, from yeah, 2003. That makes, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's colored a lot of my uh, taste over the last two decades. Right. A lot of people said it, but it's their favorite. Yeah. Uh, Fernando Morella's direction as well is incredible. I, I can't even imagine how he put that production together. <laughs> it feels like you're living in the slums with those people. So. What about you, Jimmy? Uh, I'm probably going to have to go with... Uh... Oh, Gojira. He joked. Gojira. I joke. I joked about that. Oh, it's really probably movie. gonna be Seven Samurai. Uh, if not Seven Samurai, like okay, that's all time favorite. But like a uh, recent favorite. Uh, Salas up there. Off the top of my head, uh, who doesn't love a character? Would be from uh, yeah, oh yeah, uh, Admiral from the Netherlands. Yeah, that was a good movie. Oh, interesting. Good choice there. So we got Netherlands, Brazil, Japan, and France. Wow, that's, that's well-rounded. I was worried we'd all pick like all Japan or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it would have been easy for me to just pick. Japan. I was actually my second choice was going to be a Korean film. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. The... Oh yeah, that's good. Because yeah, like the first foreign films that I remember seeing as a kid were Japanese films. Yeah, so. most of the foreign films I've like seen have been Japanese. Godzilla being one of them. I mean, you get a lot of anime, you're going to see a lot oh, of yeah. Japanese films. My second favorite, I, I looked at my list, and Spirited Away is my second. Yeah. So, also around the same time, Princess so. Mononoke is another good one. Like, yeah. I would that might be my favorite. Uh, Miyazaki, yeah, Hi Miyazaki is easily the best, I think, maybe even more than Disney. Yeah, no, definitely more than Disney. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm glad we got into this because it, it let us see an earlier work by Zhang. Uh, so. Oh, just to backtrack a little bit. I shouldn't say better than Disney. I think he's uh, Miyazaki is carrying on the tradition of Walt Disney himself. But comparing to Disney, the studios, the yes, better than Disney sure. Studios in my oh, mind. Oh, it's not, uh, yeah, not even close. Creatively, writing wise, sort of like it's just a lot, a lot of, a lot of, and like hell, like a lot of Pixar and Disney stuff borrows from Miyazaki anyway. So yeah. like, yeah, no, Miyazaki uh, is better than I think the, the studio of Disney, but like carrying on the traditions. Of Walt Disney. Studio Ghibli is better than the Walt Disney Studio. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also one one other foreign language film that I love. Um, Rare Exports. Oh, oh good one. It's a Christmas movie that I keep trying the to press on everyone every holiday season. About, yeah. but it goes more into like the the Krampus thing. Like it's not Krampus, but it's. Ooh. It leans more into that mythology of Santa as a horned demon that lives inside a mountain. Yeah, and it's like Swedish, about, I think. Uh, yeah, or Norwegian or something. How, how about a, a foreign film that's underrated, maybe, and also a cult classic? Black Sheep. Oh, Black Sheep. There's an English language. Yeah. That was a fun uh, Halloween I spent one year. It was fourteen oh eight and Black yeah. Sheep double feature. Okay, yeah. so anyway, I'm glad we uh, dived into this because not only did we get some of his filmography, but we also were able to expound on our uh, international expertise, as limited as it is. Uh, but we, we got a lens into what it was like in the 90s when we were just kids and didn't even think about other countries yet. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess you guys didn't, but like I did. Because, yeah. you know, part of me is from another country. Yes, but... <laughs> So next month, we're, I believe, going to look at a, another Val Kilmer film, a year after we looked at one. Uh, 
where he was Jim Morrison. Uh, this is going to be a, another historical film. Where, where he's it, Batman. Where it takes on <laughs> this infamous situation in a uh, Native American reservation, Thunderheart. I do not recall this being a film. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're gonna look at how real this is uh, and how very Val Kilmery it is. Yes, yeah, just excited to get back to Val. Ah, so uh, thanks again yeah. for listening and watching. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. We love that when that happens. Uh, we'll we'll see you next time. Yeah. Just a, there's just a sub basement somewhere in LA with a million Wayne Knights just waiting to be. <laughs>